if you'd all stand up with me as we read the scriptures. This is Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we come before you into your holy presence, Lord. And what I'm asking is that you would just continue to do the work that you're already doing, Lord. I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds would be open. So, Lord, we lift our heads to you and we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would testify to your word this morning. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would awaken the hearts of your children. Father, that you would remind us of what it is that you have saved us from and saved us to. I pray, God, that the power of the gospel would be reignited in our lives. Lord, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So, um, man, there's so many things I want to share with you. Um, let's just see where the Lord takes us this morning. I, I'm the youth pastor at New Life Church North, and uh, so I'm up there on most Sundays, and the beautiful redhead up here is my wife, and I love bragging on her because she's beautiful and anointed and the worship was just ridiculously good this morning. Um, it's, it's more than just singing a song. Anybody could sing songs. You could stay at home and listen to the radio and sing songs. When we sing songs, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of the truth for ourselves. And we are singing truth and we're coming back into agreement saying, God, we do agree that you are faithful and that you can still, in fact, move mountains. I think some of us, we have a tendency to fall back into this idea that God's best has already happened. His best miracles, the, the strength, the power that he's displayed, the revivals, the renewals, these types of things have already taken place. And we're just supposed to huddle up in these little, little buildings and just hope for the best and, and just wait for God to come and rescue us because the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? All this type of mentality. But when we do this, we put the gospel in a light that is not accurate because the best things and the most powerful things of God have yet to take place because we serve a living God, not a has-been God, not a greatest hits God. Amen. He is moving forward and he's calling on his children to say, move with me. I'm still in the business of saving people and rescuing people and redeeming people and healing people and breaking off the chains of bondage and sin and death and destruction, the generational sins that have been passed down from the fathers to the fathers to this generation, God wants to reach them and bless them and save them and restore them. Does anybody in here agree with that? Because he's done it for you. So someone, when they brought the word of the message of God and his gospel to you, they had enough in their heart and their mind to believe that God could still yet save one more. And you're a, a trophy of God's grace. I think sometimes, though, when we, we allow ourselves to just kind of just add back and we just kind of blend into the background and we just pray that God save the world, but we have no 
thought about what our role would be in that. Can I share a passage with you? Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So he still holds the deed. The world and all of its people, all of his people belong to him. For he laid the foundation on the seas, the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. I'm going somewhere. Hang with me. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who could stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Why are our hands and hearts pure this morning? It's because Jesus has made us that way. Through the power of the gospel. When we said yes to him in that moment, guys, your heart and your hands were made pure. So for those of you who are walked in here and you feel like a second-class Christian or you feel lesser than than those standing around us and if people only knew what you struggle with, boy, you would be so ashamed. Let me just tell you something. If you've put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your heart is pure and your hands are pure. What has happened is the way that you have thought is that God's best work is behind you, but where you're at today, he's not interested because you have failed him. Well, listen, it was never upon you to begin with. It was never within your power to begin with. Jesus is a sustaining savior, and the sanctification process is being worked out in your life, but I want to let you know you are pure and you are holy, and God does not love a future version of you. He loves you as his own today, and he's proud to call you his own. Only those whose hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship you in your presence. So by being redeemed by Jesus, we have permission from the psalmist to say, you have permission, you now may seek the Lord. You may ascend the mountain of the Lord and you can worship him and know him and love him and walk in intimacy and grace with God. Now this is the part that sounds weird. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. And we have been saved by this king. Why do I share this passage with you? Because I sat down with a rabbi a couple of, my, actually Joe and I both did a couple of days ago this past Tuesday. And I never understood what that meant. I just thought it was poetic and beautiful and just, you know, open wide the gates and let the king come in. And that's true. But what he began to share blew my mind. Now, Joe probably already knew this, but I didn't. I'm sitting there, man, just going just to every word that this rabbi was talking about. But what he was saying is that the gates are the gates of your mind. What it, the psalmist is saying here is now that you have been redeemed and you have permission and authority to be able to ascend because your hearts and your hands have been pure, he's, now there's this invitation to open up your mind and allow the king of glory to come into your thinking and your understanding so that you can have revelation. But he's like, no, it gets better. He said, listen, what this means is when you look at the root words, when you go back into the Hebrew, this expert in Hebrew, he said, what this passage is saying is open up your mind so that the king of glory may come in. 
and reignite your divine imagination. When I heard that, it's wrecked me. Because I think sometimes we have a small perspective of God. We, we, we get into the survival mindset where it's just, we got to, Lord, and all these things matter. Please hear me. But God, help me just to pay my bills. And, and Lord, help just keep us safe and help us just to be able to, to just survive in this evil, dark age. But God has not called us to survive. He has called us to walk in the power and the life-giving grace of Jesus. There's a different way to live. The world is trying to survive. People are just trying to get by and make sense of a world that makes no sense. But we know better. And I think the enemy, he, if he can't rob you from, you know, you falling into crazy sin or just, you know, whatever that may be, if he can't get you there, he'll go, okay, that's cool. Let's just slowly close these gates so that your divine imagination will go away. So that we will no longer actually imagine, imagine that God could do something great through this body. When Sarah and I, now listen, I, I don't have the market cornered on this. I'm just like ankle deep in, in understanding what this really means and truly believing God to do the things that we can only imagine. My wife and I, um, a couple years ago, we, we felt this, this little stirring. Nothing, nothing hyper-spiritual. Please hear me. I'm a washed-up musician. I have no education. I, I stumbled backwards into ministry. I, trust me. If you saw my resume, you would, you would see this guy is not qualified to hold a microphone and talk about anything, okay? But yet here I am. Divine imagination. The Lord has one. But we were just seeking God. We just want to do what God... We don't want to miss out, Right? You don't want to live your life and just look back and go, man, I, I missed out. I, I wonder what, what God would have done in my life had I said yes to him to more things than I did. I don't want to live like that. And, and so we begin to feel the stirring. And so we begin to pray. And we begin to fast a little bit. And we begin to pray a little bit more. And what happened was, as we begin to remember who we were in Christ, through this process, we accidentally opened up the gates of our minds. And we began to have this divine imagination reignited within us. We had been living in Texas for 20 years. I was raised there 20 years before that. I spent almost over 40 years in my life in San Antonio. My wife and I, we lived right outside of San Antonio for 20 years, raising our kids. Loved the church we were involved in. We lived in a cute little house in a cute little town. Guys, it, it was amazing. It was a wonderful place to live. Even the way the culture was set up is that even the non-Christians were Christians. Does that make sense? What I mean is, is we lived in a culture where it was so conservative that conservative culture was just permeated even among people who would never claim to follow Christ. And so we lived in this bubble, and it was kind of awesome. And then the Lord began to awaken our divine imaginations. And let me tell you something. When you begin to imagine stuff, and you start thinking outside of the box, our first response is going to be, no, 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 I can't be right. Long story short, the Lord said, I'm calling you to Manitou Springs. And we didn't know anything about this town, so we Googled this town. And this beautiful little mountain town outside of Colorado Springs has been wrongfully in many ways, and sometimes maybe accurate, been tagged with this evil, dark town, 
right? When I tell people I live in Manitou Springs now, they're like, oh. And I'm like, give me a break. But let me tell you something. Our divine imagination began to open up. And, and the Lord was now showing us that there's really no other path for you. If you want to be obedient, I'm sending you here. So we pulled in into our rider truck into this town. We didn't know a soul in this town except one guy. And he was a director at Summit Ministries. And we just pulled up going, okay, God, what now? What now? You've taken us on this journey. We can't get here and now just start playing a safe. What do you want to do? Ignite our divine imagination. And so as I stand here and I see you guys worshiping in this, you don't understand what this building looked like a year ago. It was a wreck. It was a haunted house, literally. It was like this scourge. It was, there's weeds out front. It was an ugly, white, abandoned building with creepy stuff on the inside. Dr. Joe, am I making this up? There was all sorts of weird rituals that took place in the room now, I think, where we keep our babies. And, and it's just like, what? And so as I stand here, the Lord raised up the college pastor at New Life Church and said, I'm going to make this man have the mantle to be the pastor to the city. And all of these people who go, no, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not that person. I don't even know. Where would we even meet? What would happen? Yet, when we allow ourselves to step out and allow the gates of our minds to be opened a little bit and allow the king of glory to come into our thinking, he inspires our divine imaginations to go, hold on. Could it be that this town is not forsaken? Could it be that the gospel and the blood of Jesus actually can have power in this town as well? And I'm here to tell you, yes. You guys don't know it, but you're an answer to prayer. But secondly, you are here for such a time as this. You see, this church does not exist for itself. We are not here to fill this room up full of people to worship and walk out the doors and go back to their lives. You see, we are in the middle of this reach campaign. And you guys, God has chosen you, whether you feel qualified or not. He has chosen you. He has chosen you to expand and extend the reach in which why we are here in Manitou Springs. God has chosen you. Don't even argue with that. <laughs> I could just sense the thoughts in your mind. You're like, yeah, maybe. No, no, no. He's chosen you. The Lord chooses those who are unqualified. Those. He, he loves showing the wise people of the world just how awesome he is through broken, jacked up, uneducated, messed up people. People who don't feel qualified. See, God can do something with someone like that. You see someone who is self-righteous and feels like they have all the answers and got it all figured out. Their divine imagination is closed because they got it all understood. But what if we lifted up our pure hands and said, God, is that for me too? What could happen? I want to inspire you back to a divine imagination of what this town needs and your role in it. I'm not here to cheer you on. I am speaking 100% from my heart. I'm not here to get you fired up. I'm not even here to preach a good sermon, as you could probably already tell. I'm here to tell you the truth. And the Lord has brought me here to inspire you and understand these things did not happen unless someone was willing to allow their divine imagination to be opened up. What would it look like if we took that creepy Masonic, Masonic Lodge and turned it into a house of worship, into a beautiful house of worship? What would it look like if we left this house of worship and actually begin 
to reach with our pure hands and hearts and open minds those in this community because they need Jesus and they want Jesus and they don't know it. They're looking for God. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for the same things that you were looking for when you knelt down and said yes to Jesus. So let's talk about this. So we move here and I went, I was scared. I really was. I was like, Lord, I'm going to have to sit down with atheists and they're smarter than me and they're going to quote all these scientific facts that I won't be able to refute and I'm just going to get, it's going to get weird and I'm just going to get, maybe, who knows, maybe I'll become an agnostic or an atheist. Who knows? I was scared because many times for us when it comes to reaching people and telling someone about Jesus, there's an anxiety that is produced within us. Like some of you, you're inspired by this, but you know where this is going. And you're like, oh, he's going to tell me I have to tell Jesus, to share Jesus with people. Man, that just scares me. How many of you, let's just, we're family. How many of y'all are freaked out to be able to share Jesus with people around you? Okay, look at the hands around us, right? And the rest of the people didn't raise their hands. Either you're Billy Graham or you're lying. One of the two, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not intuitive to share Jesus. It's not. But let's talk about really quickly the reasons. I'll share with you some of the reasons I felt unqualified as a preacher and a pastor and an evangelist to come to this town and share Jesus with people. I didn't want to be that guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just the obnoxious person that doesn't understand personal space and they just walk up and go, hey brother, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? Oh my gosh, man. Who wants to be that guy? Except that guy. <laughs> and then I was thinking, man, I don't want to come here and just like act like I know it all or come in here and ride on a white horse and act like I got all the answers and I'm here to save the city and I'm here to, to root out evil. I, come on. I got to get up in the morning. Some mornings I don't feel good. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we sleep with our windows open and pot comes in through our window half the night and have weird dreams and didn't sleep well. I mean, welcome to Manitou, right? I call it Manitou potpourri. That's what I call pot here. But here's the thing. Where I'm going with this is that I think sometimes we think I'm not qualified. I'm afraid I'm going to get asked a question I don't know the answer to. I'm concerned that I'm going to have to get into a debate with somebody. And what if I lose that debate? And what if I mess up? Or I don't know enough of the Bible. Or David, I'm just trying to figure out my own life with Jesus. And I'm just messed up, man. And I'm just trying to figure this out. And maybe someday I can do that. But I don't feel like I'm qualified. There's a guy in Mark chapter 5. And, and he, I don't know what led to him to get to this point in his life, but the way that we find him is that he is living in a cemetery. That's where he's getting his mail, okay? He's living in a cemetery, and he's naked, has no clothes, and the whole town is just creeped out by this guy. Wouldn't you be, right? Would you want that next door to you, right? Not only that, but during the night, he would wander the burial caves, and he would howl, and he would cut himself with stones. This guy is a wreck. So here was the town's answer to this, this citizen. Let's go to Home Depot and keep buying some chains and chain this guy down so we can just keep him subdued so he doesn't eat our children's faces off. Now, this is a David Martin translation, but the essence of the story is accurate. And he would break the chains and he would go back to being creepy. Okay? Now imagine you're trying to walk your kids to school and stuff like this, and this guy's naked and he's got blood all over him and he's howling like a wolf and he's 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 out of his mind. But then Jesus shows up to this town. But Jesus shows up to this town. 
the creepy guy comes out of the cemetery and greets Jesus. Now, there's this beautiful, great animated story that is just so amazing, and I don't have time to get into it. But Jesus looks at the guy, and this is what he doesn't do. He doesn't go, bro, before I can talk to you, you have got to put some pants on. <laughs> he doesn't do that. You know what he says? What is your name? He was no longer talking to the guy. You see, Jesus was able to look at the heart of that man and see what the real issue was. I think sometimes when we think about saving our city, we want to save the outside. We want, it, we want people to act right. We want them to behave right. We want them to stop cussing, and we want them to start voting a certain way. Are you kidding me? Those are externals. See, that's what the Pharisees were great about. They're great about telling you how to look the part, but Jesus has no interest in that. Because the part is an expression of here. He looks at the man, he goes, what is your name? And then the demons begin to speak up. And they said, we are legion, for we are many in this man. And Jesus stands there, and this is what the demons do. Understanding the authority that Jesus has, they say, please do not cast us away to some distant place. Now, what you have to understand is that the enemy, part of his strategy, the enemy's strategy is to operate within regions, regions and strongholds, okay? But when the authority of Jesus comes into a town, regardless of what the, the region was before, regardless of the history of Manitou Springs, when Jesus comes to town... The authorities have to submit to Jesus because all authority has been given to him. Guys, the power of God, the power of Jesus, the same power of Jesus that was in Jesus that was about to cast out these demons out of this man is within you. It's within you. Jesus says, I go to be with the Father, but you will do even greater things than I have done. Why? Because of the scripture that we just opened up with I will give you my Holy Spirit, and then you will become my witnesses to all the ends of the earth. So with this said, he casts out all the demons. The demons flee. They're gone. They don't have authority over this region anymore. So the townspeople, though, saw this guy fully clothed, according to Scripture, and in his right mind, and he's sitting there, and the townspeople went, Jesus we need you to get out of here. Are you kidding? He fixed a problem that they couldn't fix for themselves, and yet they want him to leave. Why? Well, because he cast all those demons out into pigs, and those pigs went and committed suicide, 2,000 of them. It's in the Word of God. Read it. It's amazing. So what was threatened was not that the fact that the man was healed. What was threatened was the fact that their identity and their financial security and their money and their comfort their God was now dead. And they would rather have their pigs than have Jesus. And I share this with you to a degree to hopefully convict you by the Holy Spirit. Why would we rather want to hang on to our comfort? Because the truth is the reason why we don't want to share Jesus with people is because we don't like the way it makes us feel. We don't like rejection. We don't like being made fun of. We don't want to lose the position or the promotion. We don't want people to judge us and call us all of these names that aren't accurate. We don't like the way it makes us feel. They didn't like the way Jesus' work made them feel, and they said, leave. 
So this demon-possessed guy, though, formerly demon-possessed guy, goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to get in the boat with you because Jesus is leaving. And he says, no, I don't want you to get in the boat with me and follow me. That sounds so counterintuitive to Jesus, right? But this is what he said instead. Can you throw up Mark chapter 5? I think, I think I may have given you that passage. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said no. Go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. You know what he was saying? Just go witness, be a witness. Just in, in a literal sense, just be a witness to what you've experienced. So did I give you the rest of that passage? Yes. So verse 20, look at, look at what the guy does now. He goes on tour. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him personally. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. Do you realize in this story that Jesus did not say, okay, glad you got some clothes on, glad you're not eating people's faces off, but we're going to need you to go through a 12-week course on how to share your faith. And before you do that, you're going to have to memorize the Romans road. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. You're going to go through all these hoops before you could become qualified. No, the man had never attended church before. He had never done anything except be weird and invite things into his life that were destructive. But when Jesus had an encounter with this man, he was transformed. His heart became pure. His hands became pure. His mind, the gates of his mind were opened up to this divine idea that he could actually make a difference to those around him. And all he did was share what Jesus had done in his life. Why would we want to hide that? If you are truly redeemed and saved by Jesus, you've got a before and after just like me. So what if it's not about getting into arguments with people and getting into debates with people and arguing about politics and evolution versus creation? Okay, we could talk about this some other time, but what if we just shared our story? You go, well, I have a boring story. No, you don't. If you have a boring story, I think it does a real discredit to the cross to say that what Jesus did for you was boring. You don't have to be an axe murderer, drug addict, bank robber in order to have a testimony that is compelling. I think the problem is, is as Christians, we have fallen into this idea that we are not, we can't, we can't really talk about our struggles and the things that really what Jesus has redeemed and saved us from. I think that we feel like we have to whitewash the story, but it loses its power and its truth in it when we're not vulnerable and we don't, we don't say, you know what, I, my mind used to be like a train of lust. I used to, I used to be a judgmental person. I used to, I used to uh, be materialistic. I was so wrapped by fear that I was a control freak. I was cynical. See, those things are real sins as well, right? So you don't have to be this terrible, terrible person to have a compelling story. I think the moment we become vulnerable is the moment we become believable. And all of a sudden, the face of the gospel is right in front of this person. You're sharing something that's real that has happened to you. I think sometimes we think, though, that the Lord is saying, go on out and do it and let me know how it goes. No, he's inviting us into an ongoing work of redemption in that person's life. You're sharing your story with. So whether or not they say yes to Jesus or not, that's not up to us. You can't even save yourself. We can't save other people. Our job is to enter in 
to the conversation and the work of the Holy Spirit. Way before Manitou New Life ever showed up, God was already working in this town. We didn't just show up and set up our tent and say, all right, let's get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves. Are you kidding? No, God is, he has been writing this story. He knew that he wanted to redeem Manitou Springs. Not change it, but redeem it. There's a big difference. Changing it just means it looks different. Redeeming it means that there's a supernatural transformation that's taken place. That's my introduction. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it could be if I was allowed more time. Um, I, there's just so much to share with you guys. Let's just go back to what Jesus said to the disciples. Acts 1.8. He told them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling me about people about me everywhere. Telling people about me. Telling people about me. There's this quote that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and it says, Share Christ always, and when necessary, use words. Oh, we love that. You know what that means? That means we just get to live our lives, and if someone kind of figures out that Jesus is in us, they'll come to us. Lazy. Not gonna happen. Because, I don't know about you, but when I'm running late for an appointment, driving from Manitou to New Life North and there's traffic and I'm, trying, and I'm trying to just get down the highway and people keep merging and they keep cutting me off, you will not see the gospel in me. Have you seen me fight with my printer? If you just wanted to see the gospel in that moment, that would not happen. You may actually even question if the gospel is in me whatsoever. Too real, too honest? Okay. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. So there's a witness, there's an aspect of being a witness. And so really quickly, <coughs> Joe, forgive me, bro. I'm trying, man. I'm trying so hard. Can I just share a couple of things with you that I've learned in the process of living here? Yes, Interacting man. with people who don't believe like I do, don't look like I do, don't think like I do. Number one, I love them. If you don't love them, if you're just there to change them, you are that arrogant Christian that they talk about. We cannot do a bait-and-switch friendship with people. Every single act of Christ truly started from a heart of compassion and love and acceptance. You don't have to agree with everybody in order for them to be your friend and neighbor. I don't want someone to be my friend with an ulterior motive so that I will become a Buddhist. I just want them to be my friend, because that seems more real to me, doesn't it, you? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be terrible to have a friend who is only wanting to be your friend because, no offense to anybody who does this, but sells Amway? Right? Ugh, it's gross. Well, don't, be, don't do that. Don't do that with Jesus. How to become a witness. What I would tell you is be a witness to yourself first. What I mean by that is I think sometimes we see this moment in our lives in which we accepted Christ, it may have been in vacation Bible school, it may have been a summer camp, it may have been a church, it may have been in here, whatever, whatever moment that happened, and we see that as this transactional experience that's here, but that's small stuff. You know what I mean? That, that's, no, I think we can forget what the gospel is meant to us. Think about what you felt like when you said yes to Jesus in that moment. Go back to it. 
How did you feel? What was going on in your life? What was the music like? What was the experience? What was the message? Where were you in your life that brought you to a revelation that you're like, I need him? What did that feel like? Don't forget that. And so for me, what I would tell you is before you could share the gospel with anybody, you, it, you can't, you got to remember for yourself. Otherwise, you're sharing and talking about something that you don't even remember. You're just stating a set of beliefs and facts and hoping that someone agrees with you. That, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is alive within us. And so in order for the gospel to be alive within us so the enemy can't hijack that and close the doors of our minds, every morning before I get out of bed, I say, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that... You've removed me as far as the east is from the west from my sins. I, Jesus, I don't feel like it. But God, you say that I'm holy and I'm righteous and I'm loved and I'm forgiven and I'm your child. Thank you, Jesus, for that. When was the last time we've done that? I think we have to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And then it's a lot easier to talk about something because it becomes real again. The enemy would love to make you numb to the gospel. Next thing. You do, in fact, have a story to tell. Your story is your story. It's unique to you. And what's so funny is that you hang around people who will be able to identify with your story because we have shared interests, right? We have shared uh, goals and seasons of life. And so when you begin to share your story with people, you don't have to be this st storyteller. Just say, this is how I do it. I said, you know, when the conversation presents itself and the Holy Spirit is, I just say, you know, I, when I was living for myself, I used to be an addict. I used to struggle with depression, and I didn't know what my purpose was. But something happened when I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm no longer addicted. I, I don't struggle with depression like I used to. I have hope. And I know what my purpose is. Do you have a story like that? Guys, that's how you do it. If you don't know how, any other way to do it, hijack what I just said. Take three words that describes your life before Jesus and pick three words that describes your life now that you're walking with Christ and say, when I was living for myself, I was these things. But now that Jesus has kind of taken over my life, I don't know how he did it, but when I said yes to him, this has kind of been my experience. Do you have a story like that? You don't have to ramble for three and a half hours talking about yourself, and nobody wants to hear you talk about yourself for three and a half hours. Now we're having a conversation, as opposed to just vomiting a set of beliefs on someone, hoping that they agree with us. Do you see the difference? Do you see the organic? The thing is, is that some of you heard the word addiction and went, interesting, he wouldn't strike me like that. I'd like to know what he was talking about, what, right? Some of you hear depression, you go, oh, I struggle with depression. What kind of depression did you have and how did you find freedom from that? Purpose. Don't we all get out of bed hoping that we can figure out what God's put us on this planet to do? Those are real experiences for me. But now I'm having a, an exchange. I'm having a conversation. At what point is this weird? It's not. The Lord has set it up for you to just simply be a witness. What has he done in your life? Remember the gospel. You have a story to tell. And now you're into a conversation about how Jesus has liberated you from addiction, liberated you from uh, whatever those things may be. And you say, this is how I discovered freedom from these things. How hard is this? It's not. We've made it so hard, and it's not that. Um, next thing, be prepared. Now listen to this passage really quickly. Joe, I'm trying to wrap this up, bro. But in your hearts, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be what? What does it say? Always be prepared. The problem is, is that most of us, the reason why we're not witnesses is because we're not prepared to be. That's just the truth of it. When that happens, when that moment happens accidentally to you, and they go, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to New Life Manitou? Whatever that is, we get the deer in the headlights, and then our, our heart rate goes up, and we get the adrenaline surge, and we begin to breathe heavy, and then we become weird. And at that moment, we go, well, you know what? I know a great pastor, our pastor, Joe Kirkendall. He's such a great man. Let me just pass him off to you, and I would love for, or I would love for you to come to our church. Good, invite people to church, but nowhere in the Bible do you see Jesus saying, be sure to invite people to church so that the professionals can hear about me. No, you won't find that in scripture. Actually, what he says is, you go. You do this. This is the great commission for the body. But if it's only the professionals doing it, we're outsourcing our call to enter in to the remarkable work of the Holy Spirit of saving people. You will deny that for yourself. So be prepared. But you go, David, I don't know what to say. Hang tight. To anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But this is what I love about this verse. It says, but do this with what? With your best debating skills and arguments? No, it says, do this with gentleness and respect. Don't be a jerk about it. Right? Just be prepared. And when that moment comes, lovingly share the truth as you understand it from God. This is it. Reach campaign. Tell one. You're going to have to tell one this week, guys, so you better listen up. Um, so here we go. Last thing is change your perspective. Being a witness is not a chore because some of us are hearing this going, oh, we feel the same feeling that we do when we have to take down the Christmas lights and the Christmas tree after holidays, right? Our Christmas tree is still up. You want to know why? Because we don't want to take it down. Not because we're wanting to keep the spirit of Christmas alive. It's just because it's a hassle. Amen, right? Sharing the gospel should not feel like that. Stop looking at it as a chore, and I have to, and really do convert your understanding and open up your divine imagination. This is a get-to. This is a get-to. So I'm going to close with this passage, kind of. Romans 10 says this. Now, I want you to really just take this. Scripture says that if you openly, openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel right there. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's, this is for New Life Manitou. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe him? But how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring this good news. Today is the day that your feet become beautiful and they begin to move. You have a message and you have a mission and you have a commission from God. I'll close with the story. I'm on a plane, okay? Every great preacher has a great plane story. I got one now. So I'm on a plane 
And I'm sitting next to this elderly gentleman, and it was a three-hour flight, and I noticed he had this big binder full of all of these legal doc documents he was signing. Well, I'm nosy because I'm sitting on the plane. There's nothing else to do, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck is he doing. It looked important. So we got to talking. I said, man, it looks like what you're working on there is pretty important. And he said, well, he said, I've just been thinking about death recently. And he says, you know, I, I, my wife um, is much younger than I am. And he said, I just want to make sure I set her up well. So this is my will. When you have a will that's that thick, you got a lot of stuff to give away. So now I'm curious. Well, guys, any guy that is in within proximity of one another, for any, three minutes or less, we will ask this question more than anything else. What do you do for a living? Right? So I said, well, what, do, what did you do? Or what do you do? And he says, well, he said, I, uh, my brother and I, we started a headphone company back in the late 50s. And... The more I talked to him, I realized he and his brother, his engineer brother, who were musicians, invented the headphones for personal audio use, okay? Koss headphones. So I'm sitting next to the guy who invented headphones. I take my earbuds out, and I'm really wanting to listen, right? So we got talking, but in this moment, the Holy Spirit, because I wanted to be sensitive to God, and, and guys, I was tired. I wasn't interested in really sharing my faith. You're going to feel like that. The times you feel the least spiritual is the times you'll have the most opportunity to share Christ. I'm letting you know on the front end. Um, if you're waiting to be well-rested, well-fed, well, -fed, well no, it's when you're going to feel like it the least is when those opportunities come. So just understand that. So I didn't really want to get into it, but I well, he's thinking about dying. He's an older guy. I probably should enter into this conversation. And I began to share with him my story. It's all I've got. And I just simply said, you know, I, I grew up in church and um, as a pastor's kid, but my dad got out of ministry under really bad circumstances. And so I swore off a church at 17, didn't go back until I was about 31. I did music with my wife for about a decade in Texas and we were able to do it full time. Um, I said, but here's what happened. I, I found myself in the ER when I was 31 years old with major heart complications. He's like, really? You look so healthy. I was like, yeah, well, I don't know what happened. I said, but I was laying in the ER, and this is the fast version of the story. I said, but I was laying in the ER, and I said, they couldn't stabilize me, and so what they were going to do is they were going to turn my heart off and turn it back on. And I began to think about my life, and I'm sharing this with him, honest story. And I said, as I laid in that ER, I realized something. I knew a lot about God, but I wasn't sure that I knew Jesus. And I said, in that moment, there was, I realized there's an eternity's difference between agreeing with God, knowing about God, even going, yeah, I believe that his son, Jesus, yeah, I'm into Jesus. There's a difference between all of that and knowing Jesus for yourself. And he's listening to me, he's tracking. I said, so here's what I did. I said, I prayed. I said, God, if you would give me another chance at life, I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what it means to know you, like really know you, not about you. And I will spend the rest of my life doing whatever it is that you want me to do. The last thing on my mind was becoming a preacher, okay? I'd been there, done that with my dad. That's the last thing on, well, spoiler alert, look what I'm doing, right? In this moment, I prayed. And I said, immediately my heart went right back to normal. The doctors came in with the paddles to turn me off. I said they didn't have to use them. He's like, you have got to be kidding me. He said, I'm so sorry, son. I said, no, no, no. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I said, because I realized some things. And I shared with him one verse, and this is why I'm closing with this, because you have a story, but your story is just the face of the gospel. It is through hearing the word of God 
is where faith is produced. And so I don't know the Romans road by, by heart. Maybe that disqualifies me. I couldn't walk you through the Romans road if you held a gun to my head right now. But what, here, what I will tell you is I know Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you know what? I didn't quote it to him. You know what I said? I said, have you looked at our world? Would you agree that it's like jacked up and broken? He's like, oh, yeah. He started talking about Fox News and all sorts of stuff that he's been watching. And he's like, oh, it's just terrible. I was like, yeah, I understand. I said, for the wages of sin is death. I never understood that. But what I discovered in this journey is that the wages of sin is death, meaning that we deserve to die because we've committed acts of injustice against people. I said, here's the thing. You ever heard that story or that phrase, God is love? He can't be a loving God unless he's a just God. Because you guys in here, and I've got scars on my heart, we all have scars that other people have put there. Jesus, and, or God, the Father, looks at this and goes, that's an act of injustice. I cannot redeem that person unless these acts of injustices have been dealt with. Stick with me. He's like, I never thought of it that way. I said, yeah, here's the thing, though. You, you've committed acts of injustices against other people, too. And so God says, before I can love, any, love, love you, I've got to satisfy this issue of justice. So here's what happened. I said, Jesus came. And not only did he live a perfect life, but then he said at the cross, Father, you're a just God. Before you can love them, you have to satisfy your justice. So put your justice on me instead. And God put all of the justice and wrath that you and I both deserved for hurting people on himself. And he took the justice. For the wages of sin is death. But from that came a free gift. And that free gift came through Jesus. And he wants to give it to you. So that you don't have to try to climb a ladder that you can't get to the top of by being a good person. This gift says it's yours thought of you, paid for it. The question is, do you want it? Now, here's what's crazy. This man told me, he's in his 70s, multimillionaire, big company. I've never heard this before in my life. And I'm sitting there getting mad at Christians, getting mad at us. Because I go, how in the world can this guy have so much access to the world and yet not one employee, not one assistant manager, not one uh, you know, vice president, no one knew Jesus. No one thought to tell this man this. Do you see how this works? The problem is, is we think everybody has their mind made up about Jesus and the truth is, is that they don't. How will they hear if no one tells them? The responsibility's on us. So here's what I would challenge you to do in closing, for real. I'll even move this out of the way to represent my heart to close this sermon. But guys, this matters. It really is worth an extra 10 minutes if it changes at one eternity, right? Can we give like an extra three minutes if it changes an eternity for somebody? Let's, let's invest. Come on, we can do this. 180 seconds. We have to be prepared. So think about your story. What has Jesus done in your life? Remember what the gospel has done in your life. Celebrate that. Share your story liberally. The second thing I would tell you is memorize Romans 6.23. But don't just quote it at somebody, because it doesn't make sense that way. It really doesn't. For the wages of sin is death. I mean, you can get there, but help that person understand what that really means. And take the, how I said it, but break it down to those three parts. The issue, the gift, and the giver. 
And the last thing is pray. And say, Lord of the harvest, put me to work. Who is it and where is it? And just be ready and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You go, David, all I know is Christians. Guess what? Then go to the hospital waiting room. There are people there that need Jesus that are in the most darkest moments of their lives going, God, if you're there, if you're truly there, please heal my loved one. You ever been in that spot before? We all have. So if you don't know any non-Christians, go to the hospital and love someone first. And then allow the Holy Spirit in that moment to possibly open up an opportunity for you to say, I know what it feels like to sit in that chair. Walk down Main Street and just say, Lord, is there anybody? Who is it? Highlight it. Right? I mean, this is not hard. The devil would want you to make, make you think that it really, really is difficult and impossible. But the power of God is within you. We've got to reach Manitou Springs. We do not exist for ourselves. This church is here to reach the city, and the Lord has called you to do it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the grace of Pastor Joe. Thank you, Father, for these folks in this room. Thank you, Lord, that you can use anybody who's willing to go. Would you reignite our divine imaginations of what our role is in your rescue mission to love and show the real love of Jesus to Manitou Springs. Thank you, Father, for the gospel that you put in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.